loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Ingrid Wall. Ingrid is a Swedish journalist, author, and mother of journalist Kim Wall. For more than 25 years, she's worked in the newspaper industry as general assignment reporter, news director, business reporter, and night news editor. In 2000, she was hired as head of communications at Trelleborg Municipality. She's the author of Trelleborg in the 1950s, City of My Childhood, and The Beauty of Everyday Language, and co-author with her husband, Joachim, of A Man, An Island, A Life, and A Silenced Voice, The Life of Journalist Kim Wall. Welcome, Ingrid. Are you there? Yes. I'm here. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good. Um, let's, start, let's start at the beginning. Um, you had, I, I have to say, quite an amazing daughter. Uh, just reading you. your book, I am, I'm very touched by who she was. And, of course, touched by your story of grief and what has come of it for you. But can you share a little bit about... Uh, your experience of of Kim's dying? Of course, it was uh, it was a terrible shock for us, and it was so. In we hadn't the slightest feeling that everything could go wrong because if a daughter that uh, goes uh, all over the world goes to North Korea to South Pacific go everywhere, then you are, as a parent, you have, you always have a, a lump in your stomach because something can, can happen, a car accident, a, a failure in the electrical power or whatever. But this summer, this, uh, this worry was on hold because she was in Copenhagen, 45 minutes uh, train ride from, from her, her, her home. And it, not, what could happen in Copenhagen? So, it, so you were you were kind of lulled into that. What is always, you know, of course, we're not ever entirely secure, but you're a little bit breathing a sigh of relief at that particular moment that she was near to where you live. Exactly, uh, and the Scandinavian countries—they are so similar, and uh, and. Copenhagen and our town Trelleborg is so close, but so Copenhagen is almost like home both for Kim and for us. So, so th- this summer we have no worries at all, and we were so happy for her because she was moving to to Beijing with uh, with the love of her life, and so everything was good. She was uh, successful uh, as uh, as a journalist, and so everything was. Uh, the sky was very bright blue for for her and for us. And and so then, um, of course, you lost her, which is which is bad, which is bad enough, of course. But then, in such a traumatic way, and and yes. in such a, I I don't want to mention the perpetrator of the crime against her life, because I just don't want to. 
<laughs> but um, no. <laughs> uh, give him no no press, I guess. Um, but there was no reason to think even that he was a little eccentric, but no reason to think that he was dangerous in her mind. No, no, not in any way, because the story about this man was made so many times, both from Swedish journalists and Danish journalists, and he's all uh, even had his own uh, children's program on television. So he was uh, he was very very well known in especially in Denmark, and he was uh, he was famous as some kind of natty uh, inventor, a curious uh, man, but but in in no way dangerous. So and. Uh, Kim has no reason at all to feel uh, feel afraid for him because, as I said, the story was made hundreds of times before, and she should just have the, the small little uh, finish thing of her for her reporting, and then yeah, so she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she was there doing her, her job and nothing else. I feel that's important to say because, of course, when there's tragedy, people, uh, many, many people kind of want to find an explanation that exempts them. Uh, you know, she should have known or, you know, whatever it might be. In this case, so totally ridiculous. Um, but it's important yeah. to say that, you know, that this was not, um, it was just, I almost want to say random. Uh, yeah, it was random. Certainly nothing personal. They, they have, they have never uh, meet before. They have never seen uh, each other before until two two hours before they sail away on this uh, homemade so-called submarine. So they have haven't even been in contact in any way. So this was very very random. So uh, she, yeah, it's 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 tragic, but. Yeah. Yeah. And what does stand out about her is um that that I I could imagine her being a person who who took calculated risks to tell the stories that were important to her. Uh which of course yeah. many journalists do. Uh maybe even you mm. and your husband at times, you know. It's not it's not <laughs> a completely safe profession. Um but I, no. I get the sense she wouldn't have thought there was any of that involved in this. That was when she was going to a war zone or into conflict of some sort. And um, she was obviously very well trained for that work as well. She was. And uh, this was, uh, it was totally harmless. And uh, they even discussed if her uh, partner should uh, join on, on the on the summary because he, he was a little bit curious about this uh, this machine as well. But of course, they had these uh, friends going coming over for uh, for farewell barbecue. So they said, "Oh, I'm just away for a couple of hours." So mm -hmm. and. She's she's been to uh, to North Korea. She's been to Uganda. She's been all over the place, and she's always been very uh, keen on on things. And she was in no way naive, but in this case, she she couldn't see see the danger at all. And uh, and uh, all, during all my years as a as a journalist, I've been alone with with men and even women thousands of times, and I have never even had the 
feeling that I could be in danger. That's remarkable too, isn't it? <laughs> that, um, yes, you know, you it get you, you get used to looking for it, but then it it actually isn't uh, something that happens very very often at all for people. No, uh, especially not in in the Scandinavian countries because we uh, yeah. So. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a quote in from your book that stood out to me that seemed to capture. Uh, kind of her as a working person, and we'll talk more about her more broadly, but um, you say, Kim often saw life as just that, a fight that must be fought and that must be won. It didn't matter if it was a question of working her way into the male-dominated field of journalism, of writing the best articles, or of convincing the world to eat less meat. Kim lived according to her beliefs, and she seldom compromised. Uh, that's that's something that captured something that seemed so clear throughout the book that she was a very uh, uh, directional person. If yes, you will. she was very de- de- determined for for what she. If she has decided to do something, then then she did it. No matter what the, the problems were, it, it was not always she succeeded, but at least she had tried to do things. And uh, I also um, feel as if your family, uh, the picture I get of your family, of course, you have a son as well, um, is of uh, you kind of lit the fire of adventure, if you will. Uh, I think that's um, maybe more common where you live than where I live, that you would have gone to many parts of the world um, that there was a curiosity about other people's ways of living and other other lives that she really um, embodied as she grew. Yes, true. And uh, we we traveled a lot before uh, we we got the kids, and we decided that we will continue traveling even with uh, Kim and Thomas or little brother tonight, and. Uh, they have both Kim and Tom been in uh, in the U.S. and and uh, yeah in America four times before they they came to Stockholm, the Swedish capital, for the first time. And I think that says uh, a lot about that. We uh, we travel a lot with them, and we we went all over. And I think that gave him uh, an appetite for uh, for different environments and especially for for different. Uh, kind of people, and she was very curious about uh, about humans and their life life surroundings, and so. And so maybe even a sense to... of a, a sense of comfort with that uh, with that part of it, being in new places around people mm-hmm. she'd never met. Uh, mm-hmm. it, practice it. makes <laughs> makes for more <laughs> ease, doesn't it? Yes, uh, yes, and she was uh, always eager to to learn more and and meet new people and see uh, new places. And the, the most important for her was to to meet ordinary people, the the, the people that normally never become headlines or or TV news or whatever. The the very the the little the, the human beings that. Uh, yeah, the ordinary ones. And she used to say that if every every 
men and women have a story that should be told. And she did her best to throw that story out of the, the, the human she, she met. And I, I, I believe, having read the book and looked at some other things, that she, her best was very good that uh, she had a great impact given that she really was sort of at the start of things as a 30-year-old who got a tremendous amount of education uh, to prepare her for what she was um, felt called to do um, and that she made such significant impact really worldwide. I know some of that came uh, with people who she never met because um, her life touched people after she died. But many, it seemed to me, uh, she developed really solid relationships with during her lifetime. Mm. She's got friends all over the world, and and uh, many of them have now become our friends. And uh, we to say that we have a very, very big and very... Uh, different uh, family all over the world and we are so grateful for that because when Kim friends, they are uh, we talk about Kim and we we laugh and we uh, cry and remember her and it's, it's so important for us to have this uh, network of people from all over the globe yeah, you said something that resonated in the stories, my, in my own story and the story of many people I've interviewed, which is that um, it was the, the most terrible and the love, you never, you never knew all that depth of love was, was there, that that also was really extended to you during that time. And still, I imagine, from what you're saying. Oh, yes, it is. And... Uh... It's maybe a little bit different now, almost three years after Kim disappeared, but we meet people every week, people that we don't know in any way, that they say that we we just want to say that we, we think about you, we are with you in your grief and so on. And that is really, really important. And uh, especially in the beginning, I was a little bit afraid that people will uh, avoid us because Trelleborg is a, it's a very small town, about 45,000 inhabitants. And both uh, me and uh, my husband and Tom is, is, are well known in the city. And I was afraid that people will go over to, to the other side of the street or something like that. Yes, mm. Which does happen but, to uh, people. <laughs> that, that wasn't yeah, but, a... An irrational fear that does happen to people, but not so much yes. to you. Huh? Oh, I, I think I don't think we are almost uh, never people. The, the, a lot of them said the same thing that we don't know what to say. We don't have any words, and then we say you don't have to say anything. It, it's enough with with a hug or a, a pat on the shoulder or whatever, because our our sorrow won't be be, uh, be lesser if we share it with others, but it's it's easier to, to carry it when we know that we are not alone. That there are so many people in so many places that that think about us uh, about us and uh, wish uh, that we 
can prove, it, which we will never do, but as we can live as, as normal as, as possible. You, you can live with that loss over time. I, I really uh, appreciate what you're saying bec- uh, in, this, in this sense that I, I believe there are parts of grief that just can't happen in isolation, that we really do need other people. You know, yes, and to yes. have a sense of shared grief. Otherwise, um, it, it it just kind of spins around. And it sounds as if you've had that in many ways, in many, uh, many different directions from her friends, from people in your town, and um, from some, I guess I would say, in the the field of journalism, not all. <laughs> um because, of course, there's a lot of different ways that people um, approach and uh, something happening like this in terms of how it gets reported. And yes, uh, I think... Go ahead. I think that there is one difference in, in the reporting about this, and that's uh, that Kim was a journalist. I think that gives uh, her some kind of I don't know if respect is the right word, but she she was mentioned, she is mentioned as the journalist, Kim. I think it would have been different if she was a hairdresser or whatever occupation. Mm. But I think that a lot of journalists, they, they, so many had told us, it could have been me. They so identified with I, her. Yes. Exactly, and I think yeah. that that's a, a very important thing. And uh, even when the when when the sentence was uh, was given to to this man, it it's uh, said in uh, yeah in the judgment that Kim was a journalist and she was uh, she was a victim because she was a journalist. And mm. I think that's uh, that's important for that matters important for us. Yeah, yes. it matters for for, uh, for for a lot of other people's people uh, as well in the business. So, Absolutely, uh, and I I want to. It's about time for our first break, but I want to come back and talk more about grieving in the face of a lot of attention, which of course you know positive, negative, and indifferent, but a lot of. Um, stories and, you know, uh, being in the news, uh, that seemed a, a very particular thing to deal with. And I, I want to talk about that some when we get back. Yeah. Listeners, listeners, you'll find links to my website, social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can also sign up for my email list there. And uh, there's a link to buy a copy of my novel, An Ocean Between Them. To find Ingrid Wall and her memoir, you can go to rememberingkimwall.com, K-I-M-W-A-L-L.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition... 
Working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Ingrid Wall about her daughter, Kim Wall, a journalist who lost her life while covering a story near her near her hometown, as opposed to many of the other places she traveled. And um, I really, you know, because you both are journalists, because she was a journalist, um, I I did pick up on the fact that there was probably uh, probably journalists paid even more attention than they would have to her story and which meant that in very early grief and first of all during the period you didn't know what what had happened and then as um, details unfolded uh, it, it could have felt I imagined but you can tell me like a bit of a barrage and it stood out that you decided not to be interviewed um, at that point Um, that that seemed to serve you well actually (laughs) you know because you just had a standard reply you didn't have to think about that Uh, but how was it to be kind of in the public eye while dealing with such a overwhelming loss it was uh, it was overwhelming, really. But I think we, uh, with the experience we have from a, a long working life in uh, in the media, uh, that that suits us uh, good in, in this because we, we we know how the media works and we were so aware of the the next step. So we we could take precautions before, and we already from day one. We won't speak to anyone because if we had said yes to, to one reporter, then we have had 75 more. We have them all around our house. They were calling on our door and we have them everywhere. So we said, no, 
we, we don't want to say anything. And because of our experience, we were also well aware that the, the, the promise is that we will tell everything about Kim in 2,000 characters. And we decided very early on that if anyone should write Kim's story, that will be we who, who and, do that. So, uh, yeah. And we, we, and you we did such a beautiful job of that. You did such a beautiful Thank you. job of that. I, I wonder if you'd like to share a little bit from the book so listeners can sort of uh, hear a bit. Yes, absolutely. This is chapter one, the, the beginning of the book. The quiet of our bedroom is pierced by a ringing phone. The red numbers projected at the ceiling show 5.31 a.m. It's Friday morning, August 11, 2017. I answer the phone while Jocke lying next to me in bed, remains asleep. The voice on the other end of the line belongs to Ulle, Kim's partner. He sounds shaken, his voice is forced, and he asks if it's okay if we speak English. Ulle is afraid we won't understand each other. Although it's less than 30 miles between Trelleborg, Sweden, and Copenhagen, Denmark, it's not always possible for a Swede and a Dane to understand each other. But what he has to say can't be misunderstood. Kim has disappeared from a submarine near Copenhagen. If there hadn't been such obvious worry in his voice, I would have thought he was kidding. Disappeared from a submarine near Copenhagen. This is how the nightmare began, the nightmare we would never awaken from. Our daughter, sister, and sweetheart left to do an interview for a story, a completely ordinary work there for a freelance journalist. But Kim never came back, came home from work, Instead of writing headlines, she became one. The way that you uh, brought her alive for me as I was reading the book, uh, I found very captivating that you really told a very complete story of, of the loss of her and your grief, but you also told such a deep story about her life uh, and and wove those two together in in such a wonderful way. And um, what strikes me is that you had to be writing this pretty soon. You know, it's only 2020 right this minute. Um, so this isn't even three years ago. So you had to be writing pretty soon uh, after her death, I'm imagining, um, and yet you were so, sometimes it's very hard to connect with uh, certain, or at least write about certain memories right away, especially when there's such a traumatic death, because it kind of takes over for a while. But I have the feeling that wasn't true for the two of you. Um, I, I think it's a journalist uh, training that, kicked in in some way because uh, I already start from, from day one to make uh, some kind of notes. As a journalist, you are always, uh, you're trained to, to take notes all the time so that you can go back and check things after that. So uh, as a matter of fact, the, I left, uh, the, the book was, was finished on uh, May 1st, 2018, and it was only completed with, with the sentences from, uh, 
from uh, from the from the judges after that, and uh, I had decided that the, I will write about the first year, and then there is uh, the, the finish is the, the last when it was 365 days since uh, Kim has disappeared, because otherwise, yes, I think it was a, a good way to to make a point after after a year. And it, I guess, as I think about it, um, being being a journalist, that would be a fairly natural, you know, some people do uh, write and write and write. For myself, I do other things early on after a loss. <laughs> but um, that that does make sense that that would be the way that you kind of walked with yourself through what must have been so unbelievably painful and horrific. I think that writing was for me uh, a healing process, definitely. And uh, when I wrote the part about Kim, and I had to go back 30 years in time, and it was uh, this walk along Murray Lane, it was a lot of laughter and it was a lot of tears. And I think for, for me, it was uh, it was a very it, it was a way to to handle the this entire the, the situation. And uh, for me, it was easier to to put words in the computer than than to talk about the feeling. Ah, uh, so, yes. Uh, well, and also it sounded as if you made a pretty early uh, decision that uh, you you wanted the world to see her as a whole person, uh, which meant it was important to talk about her as a whole person. Um, exactly. And and that that also helped you <laughs> in the end. It sounds as if. <laughs> Uh, we want him to be remembered as the as the the daughter, sister, fiance, friend, uh, journalist, uh, uh, human being as she was, and not the the victim that she became. And for us, it's incredibly important that people, when they hear the the name Kim, Bar, they will will think about her as a, a very talented journalist and not the, the the journalist that disappeared in a homemade so-called submarine in Copenhagen. So, and that's why we are working hard with the with the Kim War Memorial Fund because that gives us an opportunity to send out other female journalists in the world to to write the stories that uh, Kim can't do, and that that gives us uh, in this meaningless uh, situation that that gives us a meaning. And and of course that is, in a way, the theme of this this show that this you know these conversations I have is that uh, what we do to honor the people that we that we've lost, especially when it's a huge loss, can be very um, meaningful and and have a lot of depth and uh, this sense that. She, her name is now a part of uh, all of these female journalists being able, I, I know for any beginner in a field, and especially for women, it's hard to get the funds to, 
to do this to tell the stories that we want to tell um and so that must be also uh uh, uh, such a powerful thing for the people who receive those um, those grants. Yes, and for us, it's a way that every year when we uh, announce this uh, this grant, people will talk about Kim, and hopefully they will read her stories. And uh, she, this is a way for us to keep uh, keep her, her legacy, and people. Hopefully, we'll we'll talk about her and uh, remember her as a as a good journalist doing the right thing. So, because I'm a, a parent of of um, talented and and driven daughters, <laughs> I guess I will say, uh, not just one. <laughs> um, I was I was definitely putting myself in your in your shoes to an extent of course i can't entirely uh but you know to have such uh dynamic i'll use the word dynamic children uh comes with its challenges right <laughs> in the sense Absolutely. that uh, <laughs> um you know Kind of keeping them safe in their passion until they know what to do with it. Uh, I was imagining that we share that that uh, experience a little bit. Uh, would that be yes. true to say? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially in the in the teens. Yeah. But, uh, not always the easiest way to to handle a a, a very determined young girl who wants to make her own way in life so uh, but uh, yeah <laughs> and it feels to you me like that's, <laughs> that that I do and it feels to me like that's an important part of your story that you actually had completed that uh my youngest is 27 um you know quite active in the world not a not a journalist but in the media and um, I sort of feel the last few years as if um, my molding job is, is completed in a way, you know, mm -hmm. she's off living her life. And um, I could imagine that cutting two ways, uh, you know, both, that's both painful and um, I imagine that you had at least some years of, of experiencing uh, having raised someone like Kim, you know, so dynamic, so heartful, so loving, so determined, all these, all these adjectives I can think of. Mm. Uh, mm. And I just wondered, we, wondered about that. We are uh, extremely proud of Kim. And uh, being that uh, all the time, even she, when she was a, a little kid, because she always uh, she 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 her own way, and she has she said something on her mind, she she did it. She she fulfilled her uh, her dreams and going abroad and uh, education in in London and Paris and uh, and. 
to most degrees in Colombia. That uh, that I don't think that everyone will be able to do that. But she she had to set her mind on it, and that that's the way it was. I, one one story about her that particularly stuck out for me was the story about the copper beech tree that in her kindergarten playground that was going to be cut down and the kids wrote petitions and created a poster and it's healthy and still standing. Uh, my, my daughter at, I think it was six, conducted a uh, strike of her class because they were going to take apart this wall in the school. So <laughs> I was feeling the sense of commonality there. <laughs> that when you have a child who sees what's wrong so young and is willing to fight for it, uh, I was always proud and also it got her in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, the good and the bad side of, uh, of uh, strong women. Yes, exactly. At, in a world that doesn't necessarily know what to do with that. <laughs> all the time um no. <laughs> i guess you know they they observed you 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 know you and me uh these two people were not we haven't exactly um stayed quiet either so maybe that helps oh. a bit <laughs> it's time for it, our it second break when we come back, I just want to take a deeper dive into talking about um, the many ways she was honored and the fund, um, because you started that so quickly. That's profound to me. I, I took many years to, to find my proper voice around my losses. So that really stood out. So let's talk about that when we, a little more when we get back. Uh, listeners, you'll find links to my website, social media. Once again, um, go there and sign up for my email list and uh, get in touch with me about what you'd like to see happen on the show, maybe even recommend some guests. Uh, to find Ingrid Wall and her memoir, you can go to rememberingkimwall.com. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Ingrid Wall talking about her daughter, Kim, and the Kim Wall Memorial Fund established in her honor. Uh, and also, I just do want to talk about um, the numerous ways that Kim was honored by different um, organizations of journalists. Um, that must have been very moving. Uh, yes, absolutely. And that uh, you, that gives us uh, a proof that she was so... Uh, she was. She got friends and family all over, and they really liked her, and they liked her for her way of being a journalist as well as being a human being. Mm. And she did a very good work, and the world had needed her and her pen for a long, long time in the future. Do you, the two of you, um, basically? do everything in relationship to the um, foundation? Uh, are, are you kind of its, it's backbone, as it were? <laughs> no, we, we work together with, uh, with IWMF, the International Women's Media Foundation. And uh, behind the fund is the, the people of IWMF. And uh, we and the whole family and... Uh, several of her friends. So we, together, we find every year's grants. And so far, we have given out the sixth grant to uh, to female journalists. From, and this year, I was especially, we were especially very, very glad that we received a lot of applications from, from Africa and South America. And I think it's... Uh, I don't know much about the work, working conditions for uh, for, for females in uh, female journalists in, in Africa and South America, but I can. I'm sure it's not like working in, uh, in the Scandinavian countries or even in the U.S. So uh, if we can help people, then it gives us uh, a meaning. And do do you um, basically choose the? the recipients based on the stories they want to tell being somewhat connected to what Kim might have done or are there other ways that you choose? It's the kind of Kim stories that we, uh, we, we will select and Kim had a saying that she wants her stories to have an undercurrent of rebellion <laughs> and uh, and we we have so far we have had no problems at all to find those uh, stories, and there are so many talented uh, female journalists out in the world. So I hope that we will continue for a very long, long time to to send out uh, them 
to to make the stories in in Kim's spirit. And you know, uh, when you're trying to make it in a field that's a little difficult as a woman to make it in, uh, the idea that you would be especially um, uh, lauded or appreciated for an undercurrent of rebellion strikes me as really powerful. You know, <laughs> that that may not be the criteria that I, I imagine that female journalists are uh, trying to fight to tell those stories often and um, insisting on the story, you know. So the idea that you're actually looking for those stories seems seems wonderful. Yeah, and it's necessary because uh, I think that a story told by a female journalist is different from a story told by a, a male journalist. And we need more female voices in the journalism all over the world. So, uh, yeah, it's just to uh, keep on the good work. I wonder if you'd like to share a little more from the book before we get out of here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Friday, June the 1st, 2018. It's a beautiful day in early summer when we say our final farewell to Kim. The sun shines in a blue sky and the Baltic still for once glitters. We've chosen to have the ceremony outdoors just a few hundred yards from our home. Here Kim played as a child, jogged as a grown woman, walked the door, enjoyed the peace so far away from the stress and bustle of some huge metropolis. This is an end, a step along the way, but an incredible heavy one. Once the guests have taken their seats, Jokke carries in the black urn with Kim's ashes. I follow after him with Tom and Ulla. I'm carrying the portrait of Kim, which I place on a pedestal next to the urn. It's a simple, beautiful, and so incredible sad. Afterward, Jokke said, that's the heaviest burden I've ever had to carry. We don't call it a funeral. It's a final farewell. The message has gone out on the grapevine all over the world. We want absolutely no television cameras destroying this time, and there aren't any. It ends up being a lovely farewell, just as we wanted. The municipal official describes Kim in a way that gets us to smile through our tears. When the last guests have placed the flowers and said their goodbyes, I suddenly see a butterfly flitting around the flowers. The beautiful creature with its delicate wings moves from one blossom to the next. For me, it's a symbol that Kim is still with us, if in entirely different form. We end the ceremony by walking a few hundred yards across the beach meadows in heart. We each take a stone and place it on the edge. Others take our cue and do the same. The letters Kim, formed by stones from the sea, say everything in the simplest. One yearn is over, another one has begun. Hmm. You had to wait a long time for that day, too. Yes, uh, it took so long time before we we could uh, receive the, the the body and have this. So it it was nearly a year. We had to wait. There's one part, one more part of this that I just uh, really want to put in here, which is that she was, um, she had, you know, not too long before this, a year maybe, found the love of her life and that you had just met him. And I was, I was trying to imagine what it might be like to share such 
such a devastating and profound loss, most intimately in some ways with a person that you had met once, maybe? Mm -hmm. Am I correct in that? Uh, that, (laughs) That's quite a, you know, quite, quite a bond a, a bond thing to be in together, I would imagine. Yes, uh, it was. But uh, since this tragedy occurred, uh, Evola is a close part of, of uh, our family. And we have, uh, yeah, we speak to him several times every week. And he's, he's really become this uh, son-in-law that he was intended to be. Mm, that's so moving to me because, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't have to go that way. But um, she had parents and chose a man who who would do that, if if you will, you know, it mm-hmm. it um, you're you're able to all stay connected around your love for her, and I find that um, painfully beautiful. You know, I'm, it is. I'm yeah, I, I can imagine there are sometimes there's pain involved and also beauty. Mm. And we talk a lot about her and we we uh, and I often talk with her as well. And I I think what has him thought about uh, this and what she should say about that and so on. So she he's with us uh, all the time, every day. Yes, that's that's something that gets talked about in these hours uh, very, very often That uh, by me, if no one else, but usually by the other person mm. in the conversation, too, that you really mm. don't stop being in relationship to that person. Uh, mm. That that to me would be uh, much, much worse to. Yeah. To lose that inner dialogue uh, in the course, yes, uh, course of time. But in, in a way, that, uh, that's a very, very everyday thing, that if we uh, see something on the, uh, on the TV or we read something and we say, Kim would have loved this, or if, or if we discuss the politics and we say, what have Kim thought about this? And especially the situation we have in the world right now, we know that she had a lot of. Uh, she, she could talk a lot about that. <laughs> She'd she have a lot, lot of opinions. Of Is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, but you know, I I have to say that often I'm um, with my clients because I'm a therapist in in the rest of my life, other than in on this hour. Um, often they've lost someone and and nobody ever talks about them again. I think that's changing. That's terrible. But wouldn't that be just the most ripping thing to happen? Uh, I can't even picture it, but I know that that used to be the way that people handled uh, grief, especially with children, but, you know, by and large, oh, it just seems so much worse to me. I asked for me as well. And I think as long as you, you talk about uh, someone, uh, in, in our case, Kim, so long the, the, it's the, 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 the memory alive, uh, the, 
the people uh, and Akim is with us. So I hope that we hope that people will talk about her for a long, long, long time in the future. Well, I've been very um, blessed to talk about her this hour. I really want to thank you for being with me today. Thank you. To find Ingrid Wall in her memoir, go to rememberingkimwall.com. Next week, I'll have Miriam Feldman, author of He Came In With It, A Portrait of Motherhood and Madness. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.